Hello. Thank you so much for listening to Bloody Podcast. I'm Lloyd Ronkamp, and I'm joined by my co-host, Maria Felix. Hello. And our resident guest, the one, the only, Cash Abdul-Malik. Hello. <laughs> I meant it to be a cheer and not a whatever that sound was when I said it. <laughs> <laughs> That's nice. I forget. I was coming at it from the angle of like a troll under the bridge that you guys operate on top of. I'm, yeah, I'm here also. Like I'm, I'm a Moseslek. A what? A Moseslek. Oh yeah. Where do I know that name from? It's Moe from, from The Simpsons. Oh yes, yes, yes. yes. Oh Moe, you lovable loser. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so today we're doing part two of Candy. Finally, we're sorry for the delay, everybody. Things happen, and I'm, I hope everybody saw the show by now. If you didn't, watch it. What? Uh, yeah, Laurie, did you see the show? I have not, no. You didn't it's, see the show? Oh, no, I'm going to watch it with Star this weekend. We're wa- that's one of the things we got to watch. We still got to watch uh, so There's Something About Pam. I haven't seen that. Oh, that or was, The Thing About Pam. The Thing About mm-hmm. Pam. I did see that. Um, it's great. It's You really, really hate Renee Zellweger in it. Like, you really fucking hate her. Well, it's, it's good. Pretty easy no, to do. No, it's well, a good thing. I already don't like her. No, I'm kidding. I like her. No, it, yeah, it gets extrapolated, and then you respect her a little more because you hate her so much. Yeah, like she did her job. Yeah. <laughs> Candy was great. Um, <clears throat> one of the reasons we uh, haven't done an episode in just a little bit, because Maria and I were on our honeymoon. Yes. Uh, and in Paris, we watched the finale of Candy, and I was blown away. <laughs> we didn't understand a word. <laughs> it was wonderful. Yeah. But it was still in English? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I was going to say, so you guys went on your honeymoon. So this still thing this thing is still happening then? Is that what I'm led to believe? That we're still going strong? Yes. Yeah, okay. sorry, oh, sorry yeah. Sorry to break the news. Yeah, we're going to keep all it going. Right. We're going to keep going. All right. All right. And then that compromises some plans you had. Yeah. Well, it's, it's what, <laughs> it is what it is. I mean, Cash, one day you and I will fall in love. Yes. Other, <laughs> that is my plan. That is my pledge to you. Yeah, we'll, all right. we'll reach for the same thing, and then I'll be like, oh. <gasps> yeah. Oh, my God. And I'll be weirdly, I'll be dead, unexplained, and out of the picture. I hate this scenario. <laughs> <laughs> not because of you, Lori. <laughs> no. I was just going to say, that's not a, but neither one of us would want that. Yeah. <laughs> we, want well, you there for the bet- we want you there for the betrayal. We'll figure yeah. it out in Paris. <laughs> exactly. All right, we'll okay. go to Paris to do it. <laughs> um, so yeah, watch the show, Lori. Uh, watch the show as well. Not that we get any kind of fucking benefit from you watching a show. If you hate Jessica Biel, don't want to watch the show. Don't watch the show. Hulu, send us money. Um, I tried to. I tried do to watch leave. the show. It'd be better if you watched it. So yeah, yeah. Listen tried- to this, then watch the show. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> But don't, inter- don't interrupt, Maria. I think I think my favorite thing is when I do something, and then Cash does it. Maria gets mad at Cash, and then <laughs> no, you should know better. No, it's no. it's fine. They're, they're, they're light love taps. And touch you. And touch you. Wang. Hey, Wang Cash. It. I. I would never hurt you. Oh, is that right? Is that right? <laughs> Tell me over this baguette. <laughs> I was just trying to inform everybody that I tried to 
put stuff, different stuff in the uh, in our summary than what was in the finale of the show because obviously they can't fit everything in. Evidence of Love, the book that the show is based off of, and this case is uh, based off of, is um, it's pretty long. It has a lot of uh, like extraneous details, so you know. Hmm. Anyway, to get started, I have a correction to make. Uh, if you just listened to part one before listening to part two, then it was 1977 when Alan asked to be transferred to a position that had him stay in Dallas. And that was way before the affair. But it was it was in 1978 when the murder happened that Betty was going to be able to go with him, at least for part of the time. It only makes sense if you listen to part one right before part two. If you didn't, then just forget forget about it. Doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> go back, listen to part one, then come back here, listen to part two, and go. Oh, uh, yeah. 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 <laughs> I think when we just left off last time was that the local police had just shown up to the house, and at least three neighbors had already been inside all over the house, and the rest of the neighborhood was gathering around the home. Officer Johnny Lee Bridge Farmer showed up first, then he called for backup, and then later on, Police Chief Royce Abbott came on the scene. Upon seeing the crime scene, uh, which was the utility room, if you recall, smeared in blood, and there's a huge pool of blood in the middle, and Betty's lifeless body, also an axe, and then uh, the first officer, Johnny Bridge Farmer, showed the, like, so he, like, he really did it, like, in the show, bring the, the chief over to the newspaper that was happened to be open on a review of The Shining. He's like, look, check this out. It's a review of The Shining in the newspaper. It's an axe murder. It all looks really scary. It's pretty cool. It's pretty, yeah, it's a pretty crazy coincidence. Yeah, that is crazy. Ugh. Ugh. So the police chief called the sheriff's department thinking that he would need way more backup for this crime scene cleanup or not crime scene cleanup, but for this crime scene than whatever he had dealt with before. He figured and everybody else figured that it was just some psychopath running around with an axe. Upon further inspection of the house, the police found bloodstains in the bathroom, on the bath mat, on the soap dish. And the wall tiles. The phone rang. While he was still there, the phone rang and Abbott answered it. Alan Gore was on the other line and he had been told that Betty had been shot. So he called. I don't know if I mentioned this last time, but he called when the neighbors were in the house without the police yet. And when they had seen Betty's body, they answered the phone and they told him that it looked like Betty had been shot, but the baby was okay. When he talked to the police, he was pretty calm. And so the chief, not wanting to give anything away, was like, yes, she was shot. Do you know anything? And he was like, no. And then he explained that he had been trying to call Betty all day, and he had left at 4.30 from work for St. Paul. When asked who might have been around the house, he said that Candy Montgomery was planning to go there to pick up Alyssa's swimsuit. He's like, my, my lover, my, my neighbor, <laughs> my lovely neighbor. My, my loverly neighbor was there and we, I've not been inside her. 
Uh, uh, of the she... house, I mean. <laughs> the yeah, inside of her house. <laughs> her sweet, sweet house. <laughs> such a tight, such a tight house. Such hallway. a tight house. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> it's like. Jesus uh, Christ, I'm so gross. Thank you, sir. Thank you for explaining uh, the uh, parameters of the house to me. I appreciate <laughs> it. Uh, <laughs> He's like, no, you don't get it, man. The, the house is, it's great. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. I try not to go in there too often, but when I do, whoa. Oh, whoa. <laughs> it pushes I, against you. I always had to leave really fast. but Yeah, yeah. I leave fast. <laughs> Sometimes I just go in and out of the house real fast. But, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it's worth it every time. And yeah, yeah. and the lunches at the house. Oh, oh the lunches good, at the house. Lunches. Casseroles. Casseroles. Oh. Shepherd's pie. <laughs> the, chief, the chief is just like, I gotta go. I gotta go. Okay. Like, oh. I'm not done telling you the full menu. Shrimp <laughs> <Yeah>. cocktail. <laughs> Plus, sometimes if you put an order in ahead of time, they'll bring you an extra piece. A I piece gotta be honest what? with you. Piece I, of whatever you want. <laughs> what do you like, chief? <laughs> Let's talk about your favorite foods. He's like, I gotta get out of here. Gotta, I'm gonna see The Shining later tonight. I wouldn't. I wouldn't put it past a bunch of middle-aged men to talk about what the menu is. So, what else did she give you? Oh, lasagna. Oh, wow! A good lasagna. <laughs> a homemade that lasagna. Delicious. It's very nice. Yeah, I mean. I would- I would totally talk to a guy about that. He's like, I'm sleeping with this lady. Like, if my buddy, we know, uh, who's sleeping with a married lady, and be like, oh, she prepares food for me. I'd be like, oh, dude, I can't believe you're doing this. This is so wrong on so many levels. But I need to know the last meal that she had for you <laughs> and the one previously. And also, how was it? <laughs> Home roasted chicken. Okay, that's I nice. Had a, what were the sides? Friend of mine, potato fingerlings. <laughs> yeah, I had a friend of mine one time say that her and this guy were having sex, and he goes, and they made s'mores, and he goes, I would love to eat the s'mores s'mores in bed, and she goes, okay, and then she he goes, uh, I'd also like some ice cream, and I, he, she goes, okay, and he goes, and can I also when we fall asleep, can I also stick my penis inside you? Oh my god! And, and, and she was like. She's like, no, that's really weird. And I was like, that's yeah. the least weirdest thing. Ice cream with s'mores in bed? No. What the hell are you talking about? This is an insane person. She misunderstood. Penis inside of you is also an ice cream related treat. It's a Much ben like a s'more. It's the Ben and Jerry's after dark flavors. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> At Ben and Jerry's, we make penis inside of you with peanut butter clusters. Yeah. Fucking... <laughs> just, it's just one long Twix. Yeah. It's yeah. just sticking and in sh- the middle. And sugar walls. Yes. <laughs> Swirls of salty goodness. Jesus. Ben so, and Jerry sent us money. The sheriff's department that showed up was represented by Steve Defebon, who specialized in photography and crime scenes. What was his name? Steve Defebon? Defebon. The football? The football. Steve the football. The football. <laughs> All right. I'll, 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 I'll lay out the crime scene. Steve, you take the football. <laughs> I mean, I'm a jerk. God I have fun it. with that as a cop. <laughs> I was long. just talking. I was just talking to somebody the other day. Did you guys ever do this? Do you know? Have you ever? Uh, do you guys know anybody named Belinda? Have you ever? No. Uh, okay. <laughs> I had I'm sorry, girl. that's just, a, it's a funny name. It's a very funny name. I knew a girl in elementary school named Belinda, 
And this is an Orange County based joke. So there's a te- there's a city in, in Orange County named Your Belinda. Yes. And so there was always a joke that we would do is say, I'm Lori, you're Belinda. <laughs> and I loved it to the point where I ruined our friendship. <laughs> she didn't talk to me. <laughs> like for all of fifth grade. <laughs> Because she was like, you are ruining my life with this joke. (laughs) (laughs) Annoyed someone out of your life. (laughs) Yeah. That's great. Well, you've done that a few times. That's great. So I would make Steve DeFootball quit the the task force. (laughs) Steph the bomb. Yeah. (laughs) He's all throwing his hat down. (laughs) Damn it. By the time he arrived to the Gore House, there was little hope or uh, for recovering a fingerprint or any evidence without knowing who had already moved what. Because the neighbors had been through it and the cops had been through it. Mm-hmm. But um, not all hope was lost. Um, he had Dr. Stone, which is another representative of the Sheriff's Department, dust for prints and take some samples uh, of the blood from different surfaces. On the freezer door, there was a clear red thumbprint. Hooray! Hmm. And then on the blood on the floor, there were footprints that they took pictures of. He also found some smashed sunglasses. Oh, sorry, that's smashed glasses. Not reg- not sunglasses, regular glasses. Okay. Yes. Um, and another Ricky found the lens from them in the garage. And then he moved it and he brought it over. He was like, hey, look at this. And he's like, God damn it. Put it back. And then show me where it is. That is like a like a camp, like a camper move. You know? That's not something that police normally yeah. do. It's like, yeah. hey, look at that. You camp, you're like, hey, look at this. I found this over here. It's Put like, it oh. back. <laughs> Idiot. So the police worked backwards to try to figure out the path of the crime and they didn't originally include the garage where this where the uh, glass lens was found because there was no blood in there. Which is interesting. Hmm. They also found a bloody piece of a fingernail. Based on the evidence that they had, they concluded that it was not a premeditated murder and that the shoe size of the foot of the footprints that was left behind was either a woman or a kid. Those are very small. Betty's body was taken to a medical examiner who began studying the multiple wounds on her head and body. The ones that stood out the most were six nearly identical vertical deep wounds with with the axe, which showed Betty was down and had ceased to move her head. They were in her head, and they were all the same like basically all the same, like with the length, meaning that she wasn't moving around when they happened. Right. But they weren't the fatal ones. On the left side of her face and near the top of her head were several wounds of various sizes, which did occur, which showed that those likely did occur that when she was trying to fight back and move out of the way. Oof. Another. And this one was likely a fatal wound, went from ear to ear and penetrated the skull. Ooh. Oh my god. And, and she then, was alive during this point? Or yeah. She was, oh. she was alive. 
Three more fatal wounds were in the back. Three more potentially fatal wounds were in the back of the head near the brainstem. All in all, the medical examiner found 41 wounds, most of which were committed while Betty was still alive. The next morning, Candy spent the better part of the day making and taking phone calls because all anyone could talk about was the murder. She was already anxious because Alan had called her the night before and told her uh, that he was coming home and gave her his flight schedule because, remember, Candy still has Alyssa. Um, And told her also, oh, I talked to the police. Uh, I mentioned that you went over there. They're probably going to call you. She's like, shit. (laughs) (laughs) We talked about all the food that you make. And, uh, you know, (laughs) just like, just general stuff. Yeah, just expect a call. Nothing big. The chief just wants your cobbler recipe. Yeah, I told him it was really good. (laughs) Why'd you do that? It's delicious. (laughs) It's delicious. I have to uh, spread the word. Do you have any more? I have a feeling that would be something I would do. I feel like in our friend group, because you guys have already said that your guys are going down in a blaze of glory. Like, you're going to protect each other no matter what. I think I would try and then fail miserably. Like, you guys would be, like, on your... Like, so, a crime... We committed a crime together. And you and you and Marie already have your go bags. And you're, like, ready to go. And I'd be like, hey, guys, uh, sorry, I just... Uh, I told the police chief to call you. <laughs> He's just like, <laughs> God damn you. it! Marie. <laughs> Like, this would end with you guys being forced to kill me because I can't. <laughs> I oh can't God. not. I can't not keep my mouth shut. Don't tempt us. We've been watching a lot of Ozark. Lately. I was just. About I was to just say. thinking about that. Ozark. Yeah, I'm the brother. I'm yeah, the brother. you're Ben. You just yeah. can't yeah. stop fucking talking. Yeah, we're just I like, think, God damn it, stop! I think I'm helping you, and I'm in fact making it worse. Yeah. Ugh. Should I have told the cops that we were heading this way? Mm, uh, <laughs> God damn it! I just wanted to tell them about the fries at this diner because they're really good. <laughs> Again with the fries. Pull, pull the car over. Pull the car over. <laughs> you realize that since we've gone, we've done low sodium, that fries actually have lost their taste. So therefore, we need more fries. So it's actually hurting us. Okay, open the door. I, what <laughs> really? <laughs> That's when I stop. <laughs> All right. They've been cheaping out on the salt. <laughs> um, so from from the calls from her church friends she learned new details about the crime that others had heard she learned that Betty was not in fact shot but she was killed by an axe mm. and that they found a bloody footprint at the scene Ooh. Um, so she goes about the rest of her day and at one point she's rebandaging her um, toe that has the wound in it and then Pat sees it, and he's like, what happened? And she lies, and she's like, uh, the screen door on the on the outside of their house. Like, you've got to fix that thing, because it's her others before. Like, it's her it's her others before. It's a terrible door. Um, <laughs> the, the, the metal storm door, she said, um, you know, nicked her toe. Right. And she remembered that she had planned to say that, uh, the, the day before when she was driving home from Betty's and she felt her toe bleeding. She was like, I'll just say it was the metal storm door. Um, then later that day, she drove Alyssa home. 
<laughs> I just love that she's like, she's like, I know. I'll just say, and then I'll say that I've always said, it's like, you know, you know, when you t- have a fight with yourself before yeah. you have a fight with someone else mm-hmm. <laughs> and you're like, and then they'll say this and then I'll say this and, ooh, I'm so smart. Yeah. Yeah. It was definitely one of those moments where she was like, I'll finally show him about that storm door. Yeah. It's like, you just killed a person. It's not even true. He's like, <laughs> yes. I've been telling him. This argument's <laughs> going to go great. So she drove Alyssa home. And she was hoping to just drop her off, but Alan was obviously pretty sad, and he was alone in the house at the moment, so he was like, can you guys just please stay while I tell her what happened? While I tell the do- my, Alyssa, my daughter, what happened? Aww. So Candy and Pat stayed and comforted them when Alan told Alyssa that Betty was dead. Hmm. On Sunday morning... Candy went to church, and although the it was a tight-knit community, if you recall, the Gores had left that church a few weeks earlier on account of not getting along with the new pastor. Right. Candy asked the only lawyer at the church, Don Crowder, for some advice after the service. She said she was worried because she expected... she The police had called her, and they had told her that she was the last person to see Betty alive. And that they wanted her to come down to the station to give a statement. So she asked if she had anything to worry about. Don was really into the idea that it had to be a big, scary man with an axe that had killed Betty. Like, he had spent all day at the church, like, in between the service, talking to everybody about it. And he was like, it had to be a big man. It had to be a big psycho. So, of course, he was like, no, 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 you don't have anything to worry about. This is routine. They do this all the time. Mind you, he's not a criminal lawyer. He's a civil lawyer. Okay. And he's like, you just tell the truth about what you did uh, or what you saw, and and it'll go fine. Don't worry about it. She goes to the questioning, um, and she tells the police everything about her morning. She said that she went to Betty's. She went to church, and then she went to Betty's, and they chatted, and she got the swimsuit, the towels, and the peppermints. And that the whole conversation took around 15 minutes. They asked her what she was wearing on that day, and she told them a burgundy blouse and blue jeans. And then they also asked her about her shoes, and she said that she wore sneakers, which they asked her for to make a comparison. She told her her whole, she told them her whole timeline uh, after that about her watch breaking and then going from the store, like getting to the store and then leaving right away once realizing her watch was broken, et cetera, et cetera. Up until that, you know, evening when she went to go watch The Empire Strikes Back and get tacos. It wasn't until 8.30 p.m. when Alan first called that the whole ordeal had started. That's what she told the police. And they're like, all right, thank you so much. You're not like they didn't say you're not a suspect, but they didn't really they didn't consider her a suspect at this point. Then let her go. Do you think, sorry, do you think if I killed someone and you and I went to go see Empire Strikes Back and have tacos, do you think I would be able to pay attention to the movie? Having already seen it? Yeah. 
Having already seen it, I don't think so. I don't think so. I don't know. Okay. I, I think I, if you, I think if it was your first time seeing it, I think this is how it would go. You'd be like, me, I can't, I can't, I can't do this. I can't. Holy shit. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I think that's right. <laughs> it's the illusion of it all. But um, she doesn't care. She doesn't care. She's yeah. not. She's not a science fiction fan. I'm sorry. Keep going. <laughs> I, I guarantee you. She's she's now more upset about that freaking uh, her toe or whatever it was that than she is about the actual murder. I guarantee you that she's like I told her I've told her several times to put that away and she doesn't do it. <laughs> and she's more she's now more fixated on that than she is on the murder. It's very true. Yeah. <laughs> Silly. So and Alan was interrogated as well. Of course, he's a suspect even though he was out of town because it's his wife. Mm-hmm. They asked her. They asked him if anyone would be romantically interested in Betty, or if she had ever had an affair. And he said, "No, I don't think anybody was, at, you know, interested in her that way." <laughs> and Aww, then, and nice. yeah, what a jackass! And then, then he was he he was like, she didn't have an affair, but she did have, you know, a one night stand a long time ago. And then they asked, had he ever been unfaithful? And he said no. He had never been unfaithful. That night, he felt bad for lying. And the police had asked him a few too many questions about Candy. The the police asked him a lot of questions about Candy's reactions to Alan's phone calls. Because he called her like four times that night. You know? So Alan went home and asked Alyssa a few questions. He asked her about that morning and how long Candy was gone from the church after she had dropped them all off. Alyssa had said that she was gone until lunchtime. Alan, so that's that's a long time. It's like a few hours. Mm-hmm. Alan had asked her, were there any bags in the car when you got back in? Had she gone shopping? Um, or if she knew why Candy had taken so long to get back? And Melissa didn't know. And she said there were no bags in the back. Alan went to bed, troubled. He got up early the next morning to tie up some loose ends before he had to leave to Kansas with Betty's family for the funeral or for the, um, for the burial because they had the service there locally there in Texas, but Betty was to be buried in Kansas, where okay. she was from. So the first thing he did at 6 a.m. is he called Police Chief Abbott and he told him that he had lied that he had had an affair with Candy Montgomery that ended eight months ago. This was the first time that chief, the chief would learn about the affair. Um, hold on, let me say that again. So, um, so this was the, okay. This was the first time that the chief had learned about the affair. He asked Alan to come in. And make a statement about it before he left. And he did. And then he told him, thank you for telling me this. Candy had already told us. It's like an old police trick. Oh, yeah. Oh, nice. Yeah. Smart. That's great. Because he didn't want Alan to go talking to uh, to Candy about it. And t- like alerting her that he had, that he had told the police. <laughs> oh. I put this in here because I don't think I put it in the last episode. She goes on this retreat with her friend 
And then Pat is at home with the kids. Mm-hmm. So he puts the kids to bed. And after spending a few hours alone, listening to records and like sitting there, Pat got re- wistful. And he started looking for the love letters that he knew Candy kept from when they were younger. Remember they would write letters to each other? Right, yeah. And they would exchange little cards. Um, Cutesy cards. Yes. He looked around the house and couldn't find them in the usual place that she kept them. But then he remembered that sometimes Candy keeps stuff in the bottom of her dresser. So he looked there. He didn't find the letters, but he found a letter. Addressed to Candy, not from him. Uh oh. Pat sat down and read the letter, dated October 1979. Ooh. Because, you know, you got to date your letters. <laughs> <laughs> what? Who would date their, their affair letter? It's the 80s, man. You date the. You never date your letters? Uh, when I did write letters, no, I didn't. I never dated them. What? You have to. Oh, I didn't know that was part of the letter writing process. I, what about journal entries? Would you date journal entries? I was never a big journaler. Mm. I would I would journal for a little bit, and then I just never, I never like thought what I had to say was like interesting enough to read later. You know, I was always like, <laughs> in the moment, I'm funny, but I never think that like nobody's going to be like, I wonder what I said last year. Oh you know? my god, <laughs> I felt the same way as a kid. I'd be like, what I have to say doesn't matter. Nobody cares anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You never know. I'm sure Anne Frank felt that way. Well, yeah, you know. Yeah, I, I guess, could see that. Yeah. But I mean <laughs> I do I do consider myself an Anne Frank character. You know, I do I do very uh-huh. much consider so <laughs> yeah. I guess you're right. I guess I do have the same importance as Anne Frank. I, yeah, I think you <laughs> I should, should start, start journaling. You should start journaling. Yeah. So not only was the card slash letter the kind of greeting card that him and Candy exchanged, it had a lot of details about how whoever wrote it would miss their sexual encounters, (laughs) lunches, and conversations. Not in that order. (laughs) Lunches first. (laughs) Conversations second. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. again. I think I think the <laughs> one thing that I loved about the first episode was just how much you guys hammered in that it, this was not a like a sexually satisfying affair. Yeah. Not this at all. Was, <laughs> so yeah, this I guarantee an, an affair that, like, of convenience. Yeah, I guarantee you that it was like lunches, conversation, lunches again. <laughs> like, yes, lunches, let's circle back to the lunches. Yeah, and then. Sexual, sexual affair. <laughs> well, we did all that. I guess we should yeah. get this out of the way. But then also to wrap it up, lunches again. Like really, and don't <laughs> forget dessert. Enough. I just yeah. want to emphasize her cheesecake was phenomenal. Yes, a yeah. good, a good base, a good <laughs> it, base. Yeah. Good it was, it was wetter than her pussy. It was so nice. <laughs> now that's a moist ass cheesecake. <laughs> wop wop wop. Uh, you know the very horrible thing about this is that. It's the same kind of card. It's the little things that the make the betrayal so big. Sad. It's the so same, big. same kind of jokey yeah. card. Yes. The front of the cards was one of those love is dot dot dot. Oh. And you open it up and it says something else inside or whatever. And that's the kind of cards that they would give each other. And that's super sad. And it's got love on there. That's fucking. Mm. That's the thing. And then, uh, well, that's you know, it. once they're not having sex. They they were clearly in love because like they're not fucking they're eating and talking, that's love. That's worse. <laughs> that's worse. That's yeah, worse. yeah. 
Which is exactly the opposite of what Candy said she wanted, by the way. Remember? Mm-hmm. You, anyway. At least you did not have follow through at all. No. No follow through. No. Um, no. So Pat reads it. He realizes it's signed by Alan, who figures out quickly it's Alan Gore. And then Pat calls Sherry, Candy's best friend, and asks, asks her if it was true. Sherry immediately told him that it was. But she tried to diminish it. She said that it was more like a friendship. It was like a Candy was going through a phase, and now it's over. And it's been over for a long time. And she immediately tried to convince him that Candy was a good wife and a good mother and that he shouldn't throw it all away because mm-hmm. of this. So Pat thinks it over. And then by Sunday, by the time that Candy comes home, when she, when he comes home, he's or when she comes home, he's gotten her like a dozen roses and he's written her a letter asking her to forgive him because he feels that he drove her to the affair. Isn't that some shit? It's so sad. Oh my gosh. That's so sad. masterfully done in in the show, by the way. Yeah. Ugh. That that's so that reminds me of this movie, um I think it was called Elena Undone. It's not a great movie. It's a lesbian film, and it's about this woman who's a pastor's wife who falls in love with a photographer because you know all photographers are photo- photographers are lesbians. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, the pastor finds out, and instead of like getting mad at her, which you think he's going to do, he like goes to her and apolog- and starts crying and begging her not to leave him. And it's actually like a really sad moment in like a not great movie. <laughs> and so, <laughs> yeah, it's like you're like Aww. it's like it takes you off guard because you're like, oh, this is. Okay, I didn't expect to feel an emotion during this movie. Isn't yeah, it, it's really sad. Isn't it? I I think it's great when that happens when you're watching something really bad and you're like, "This is garbage," and yeah. then there's like a moment where you're like, "Oh, good job, guys." Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. you let yeah. you it lets you know it's like it's not you, it's something else. It's yeah. the direction or something else, but it's just like nice. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I love. Yeah, that's it. That's always nice. Yeah. So uh, they basically, as you could tell, they decided to like move on now that Pat knew and just refocus on their marriage, which they had already tried to do because they, they had a marriage encounter already. But whatever, you know, never mind. Poor Pat. <laughs> Back to the investigation. The police now shifted their focus to Candy because they felt that they had a killer with a motive, a scorned lover. And the small footprints at the scene, they were convinced that they had their killer or possibly still killers because maybe Candy and Alan did it together. During their search for witnesses, they had only found one. They found a five-year-old girl who had gone over to to Betty's house and um, had gone over to see if Alyssa was, was home and was allowed to play that day so she goes over she knocks on the door she doesn't hear anything but she does hear the baby crying she doesn't get an answer so then she goes back to her house but she watches i guess she just like watches from her yard or the window because like nobody's home and she wants to play and as she's watching she sees a lady in a purple blouse and jeans leave the house but she doesn't see anybody else come in and out for a long time so that's the only witness they got 
And it's a shaky witness because it's a five-year-old. Yeah, and they also shake a lot. Um, so <laughs> literally and figuratively, it's a shaky witness. Yeah. I was just thinking, do you imagine how... I mean, look, I think... I, I Children are awesome, right? I, I'm a fan of kids. But in certain contexts, I, I would not want to deal with a child... You guys were talking earlier about having a toddler on the on a plane. That's where I wouldn't want to deal with a child. Another one is having to get information specific information from them. Oh my god, I would rather <laughs> yeah. be like s- s- let me just like take apart the plumbing system and sift through the poop. Like do something <laughs> gross other than d- having to talk to a five year old about specific information. <laughs> I went across to my house and I was looking at a cloud that I thought looked like a butterfly. And then okay, <laughs> Stephanie, I need you to focus. <laughs> God, that'd be so Did I tell horrible. you that my mom, my mom sometimes likes to wear my dad's underwear, and my dad says that she stretches them out, and my mom said that this is him just calling her fat, but not having the guts to say it out loud. What, think? what time oh, was it? <laughs> What's time? Oh, yeah, God, I hate this kid. Yeah. <laughs> I'd be like anything, anything else. I'll taste test the mattress. Just let me, please, let me do something else. So, um, with the context that they could gather from the kid and the kid's grandma, who did say that she, you know, allowed her to go outside and go to the gorgeous house to see if Alyssa could play, they f- they put the sighting of Candy leaving the house at around eleven a.m. While Candy had said in her initial statement that it had probably been around 10.20 a.m. So then they call her and they're like, hey, we need to get your fingerprints just because, like, if you were in the house, we got to eliminate all the people that were in there or that were in there as, like, non-suspects, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. So she's like, yeah, sure, no problem. Comes back in. And they ask her, well, after the fingerprints, they ask her to go over the details again. And asked her whether they knew if Alan or Betty were having an affair. Candy said no. She claims that when she answered no, that she thought she was telling the truth because she thought they were talking about at the moment. So I, I thought that was like, okay, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. You, know what, you know what they meant. This is semantics. They kept pressuring her a little bit more. And then Candy ended up admitting pretty quickly that she had had an affair with Alan Gore, but it had ended months ago. So then they kind of like tried to do the good cop, bad cop thing a little too quickly. And they immediately were like accusing her of murdering Betty. And they like waved the fingerprint picture in front of her and the show, the shoe print picture in front of her. And they were like, they're like, if we tell the public that this, that you were there and you know, we have a lady's finger, lady's footprint, and this is your finger fingerprint. They're gonna think it was you. And she's like super scared, and she's like, "I'll agree to take a polygraph test to prove it wasn't me." Okay. So okay. then she leaves, and she has to leave her shoes with, like, or so then she leaves, and she gets she's really spooked. So she goes home. She tells Pat what happened, and then Pat calls down Crowder, the lawyer from church, the only lawyer at the church, so they I decided to call him for a representation. Even though, again, he is not a criminal lawyer. He's just the lawyer they know. Ladies and gentlemen, I am not a criminal lawyer. He was a very southern man, southern lawyer. 
I'm just a lawyer that someone knows. I just happen to walk into this building. He loves football. I love football. Uh, he does not have a handlebar mustache. I do not have a handlebar mustache. <laughs> he kind of looks like Matthew McConaughey. People say I look like Matthew McConaughey. <laughs> That's just people. It's not you people. It's just the world. <laughs> he likes a three-piece suit. I like a three-piece suit. You should see I'm wearing one today. <laughs> and she is not guilty. Thank you very much. That's my opening statement. <laughs> that, well, that was all about you. Yep. <laughs> Just a lawyer. <laughs> I don't know anything about this trial, but I'm voting innocent. Yeah. That I like lawyer him. is cute as a button. Yeah, like, I like the cut of his jib. Yeah. I've even been on to have an ice cream from time to time. I like I like the texture. Oh, speaking my language. <laughs> So they asked Don for representation, and he agrees. And then, like, she goes over the details with Don. Pat's not in the room. It sounds like it, it's unclear, obviously, because it's you know, client attorney privilege. Mm-hmm. But it's unclear exactly what happened. But anyway, what we do know is that Don had asked her after she went home to call the other church members who had seen her that day and asked them if they remembered what she was wearing. If she was wearing the same thing when she left the church and when she arrived later on, clearly it couldn't have been her because she would have been covered in so much blood from the crime scene. So that was like his first line of defense. After she had gone over all the details with them, the problem that they had so far, the biggest problem, which is a pretty big one, is that Candy definitely had a huge gap of time where she couldn't explain where she was between going to the supposed Target in Plano and getting back to the church. And there were no witnesses to say that she was there. Don says that a day later, out of a need to defend Alan in private, Candy admitted to him that she had committed the murder, but couldn't give the details of how. Then they told her not to tell her husband and to stay away from the reporters because the reporters were really just sopping up the story. And they were they had just found Candy's house. So they were hanging out. <laughs> Don't tell your husband that you did this. <laughs> <laughs> Don't tell him. The first thing they say. Yeah. <laughs> He's not good at secrets. No, yeah. Pat's told us so much. He's a sweet <laughs> man. Uh, he's so nice, so nice, but such a bad liar. Yeah. Please, just be yeah. careful. He told us about the flowers, by the way. Pretty sad stuff. <laughs> so the news was obviously already on the front page. Since it looked like a crazed axe murderer had hit a small town in Texas and attacked a school teacher in broad daylight. That same day, the Dallas Times Herald reported that, quote, a female friend of Alan Gore was now the prime suspect in the murder of Betty Gore and mentioned bloody fingerprints in the article as well. Meaning that the police were talking to the media a lot because that's a lot to give away. Mm-hmm. News stories were printed every day with new leaks from the police until finally they announced that they had a warrant for Candy's arrest. They named her. Uh-oh. But they still didn't arrest her. Finally, Two weeks after the murder on a Thursday, they called Candy's lawyer. The warrant was signed and they were going to arrest Candy. So Candy knew it was coming. The entirety of the legal process was then 
muddled by men's egos. From this point forward, it just gets it gets super just super bad. Candy's bail had been set at one hundred thousand, for which she needed to find a bond for ten thousand. When they found one, he refused to issue the bond. The guy was just like, you know what? Now that you guys are here, I don't feel safe issuing this bond for this crazy axe murdering lady without ninety thousand dollars. And they're like, that's the whole thing. He's like, all right, well, I need a note, a promissory note for $90,000 and the deed to your house. What? A house now? Oh, brother. Yeah. Apparently in the law and under Texas law, you cannot seize a house for any like legal reason like that for like a bond. So it doesn't matter if he has the deed to the house. He can't actually do anything with it. But I feel like this guy was just operating under some, you know, lawless all the system he's like i want the deed to the house <laughs> yeah i don't care if i can't do anything bar. with it i want it <laughs> so they're like fine like pat has to give it all up. he's like i, I guess i have to because my wife's being arrested thanks so Dude, poor pat yeah Sorry. poor pat so they get they get the bond and but the lawyers still have to take candy to surrender herself their plan was to get the bond signed Get it, get it all ready to go so that when they surrendered her, they could immediately take her back home. So the lawyer takes her to, sur- to surrender herself. And at the police station, the police didn't bother stopping the reporters from crowding around them and taking up, like, basically both exits or both ways into the building. Mm-hmm. Uh, they arrested her in front of the reporters, and then they didn't allow her lawyer to follow them in. They made him go park his car in the visitor lot. They're like, you can't leave your car here. They go park it. <laughs> and then by the time he went to go park it and walked back, who knows how far the lot is? He fucking, they've already taken her in and started processing her. And that was not supposed to be the deal. Did he like pull up on the sidewalk? Yeah. <laughs> he did. <laughs> they told him where to go, though. <laughs> They're like, dude, move your car. You can't just leave your car here. <laughs> yes, this, I can. This is an emergency. It's a big news story. Move your fucking car, dude. <laughs> he throws a random guy in the crowd of keys. He's like, ah. Yeah. <laughs> like, no, you Don't move. scratch it. As they were processing her, they noticed all the bruises on Candy's legs. So then they took her to the hospital to get examined. And they documented every bruise and cut that she had. Finally, they told her lawyer that they wouldn't accept the bond saying that the bond was issued outside the county that they were in, and therefore it was not allowed. To top it all off, Don Crowder did not get along with the judge that was already assigned to the case, Tom Ryan. Hmm. At her arraignment, Candy pled not guilty. They finally were able to post her bond, and she was allowed to go home. Then, according to Evidence of Love, the book, Don then instructed her to change her image. He told her to get the perm out. He didn't like the way it looked. It didn't look good. <laughs> get it out. And to stop smoking in the public because it made her look too tough. Oh, my God. And, of course, to lose weight. She didn't, Lose weight? He didn't want her to look, and she was nowhere near, but he didn't want her to look as big as Betty so that it looked like she could not take on Betty. I mean, okay. Uh, yes. Sure. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So she, 
wait a second. <laughs> She's not wrestling her to the ground. She took an a- she took an axe and killed her, didn't she? Like, well, I think honestly, you could a five year old could come at you with an axe and get some good swings in so. forty times. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Never mind. So, um, he wanted her to look more demure. Because Candy just naturally, if you look up her face, she has kind of a smug face. She has a little nose, a little mouth. Yes, she does. She has a little smug face. So he's like, she looks too smug. And she also doesn't show a lot of emotion. Dawn hated that. Like, Candy's a very reserved person. She didn't cry in public a lot. She didn't, she didn't flinch, really. She had a, you know, strong veneer. Should have been like, put a piece of glass in your shoe. <laughs> Yeah, there you go. That's how they always say to beat a lie detector test. Oh yeah, mm. Just put a rock or a piece of glass in you, because the whole what I I used to watch a lot of YouTube videos about it, and it's just getting the baseline to be higher, right? Right. So that way, because that's how they measure if you're lying. So if you make the baseline super high, then then you, you know mm-hmm. it'll show that you're not. It won't show as that you're lying, but it'll show incl- inconclusive. Don was still counting on the argument that another big man had done this. Not a small, not small little candy. But Don also kept running his mouth to reporters. <coughs> he kept calling the cops crazy and the prosecution a bunch of bullies for the way that they treated witnesses they were vetting. And he accidentally confirmed to the media that there had been an actual affair, not just a friendship between Alan and Candy. Nice. Shortly thereafter, both sides agreed to a gag order. But during the same, during the same, it's not a, tr- it's not a trial. What do you, it's during the same hearing. Mm-hmm. Um, they sandbagged Candy's lawyer by following up with a matter that got her bail rescinded. By way of her bail, guy, like basically what they were like. Tom Ryan, the judge, was like, you know what? We have another matter to discuss after they did the gag order. And he was like, I have heard that I have heard (laughs) that basically, I don't know. I didn't write down the legal jargon of it. But her bail guy did not have a statement on file in the county that they were in um, that said that his net worth was sufficient to use as a bond for someone else. So they basically are saying the guy who posted the bond doesn't actually have the money to post the bond. So it doesn't count. And the reason we don't think he has the money to post the bond is because there is not a statement on file in this county saying so. And for that reason, we're rescinding her bond. This bond guy is a fucking doof. (laughs) He's already like trying to move into her house. He's throwing moving boxes. He's like, hey. Yeah. I mean, look, if, you're, if your mascot is Dog the Bounty Hunter, you know, the, the things are not going well in your business. It's like so. a super arbitrary rule that the, the judge basically made everybody go and find that morning or something. So he had shit to, like, take Candy back to jail because the judge loved the attention from the media, too. <laughs> Ridiculous. So they arrested her right away and took her back to jail. Then Don was pissed and he had to work on getting another bond. And at the same time, he was like, I'm filing a federal lawsuit against this court and the county. Mm -hmm. And this was all before their trial even began. 
All through it, Pat stayed at Candy's side, putting everything up for sale to pay for her defense, taking time off of work, and even telling her best friend Barbara that even if she were guilty, he still loved her. In August, Don petitioned for the case to be moved to another location, but the judge in charge of deciding if it got moved or not was the same judge who was already on it. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> super awkward. So, uh, Judge Ryan said, uh, nah. Well, this piece no. of paper says you want to leave me. <laughs> oh, shit. You weren't supposed to see that. <laughs> That's why, like, I love when, you know, like, they, the people who determine if a judge has bias is the judge. Yeah, it's so stupid. <laughs> yeah, it's ridiculous. <laughs> And so I think it's always so funny when they're like, Judge, you have bias. And then they go, I've looked inside myself and I don't see any bias. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) About a week and a half later, her attorneys were able to get Candy back out on another bail. So then Candy basically spends most of the summer out on bail. And it's kind of like, it kind of feels like a countdown to her, you know. To the, it is a countdown to the trial, mm-hmm. but she's just kind of trying to enjoy life, and she's going on vacations with the family and another family. And then this, during this time, Don tells Pat everything, and then Pat tells Candy while they're on vacation, Don told me everything. I know that you did it. Around the same time, Don also contacts a hypnotist in River Oaks, which is in Houston. Named Dr. Faison. Dr. Faison. Apparently, River Oaks is like the Beverly Hills of Houston. Yes, of course. We all all know that. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) And Dr. Faison was therapist to the housewife crowd. Don made an appointment to bring Candy in and made sure Dr. Faison was willing to testify in court about any results from the therapy relevant to the case. The first session took several hours and Faison had Candy had Candy go back to the day of the murder. Then, and all of the sessions were recorded for Don. Then he took her back even further under hyp- uh, hypnosis to the first time that Candy had ever been mad, which was turned out to be when she was little, and she had broken a jar out of anger during a game. She said she was bleeding, and her mom took her to the hospital. And as she kicked and screamed in the doctor's in in the little room, and people could hear her all over, like down the hall and stuff, her mom said, "Shh, what will people think?" And then she stopped crying because she was worried that she would embarrass her mom. This was the first time that Candy remembers feeling rage. It was to be the source of her of her rage, really, the scarring memory of her mother worrying about what everyone else thought, as opposed to Candy's own pain. Ridiculous. Yes. I get that. I get that. Yeah? I was at a funeral one time. My aunt had died, and I was crying, and my mom said that I was embarrassing her because the time we were were at the burial site, and she said I had all during the funeral to cry, and I didn't cry, and I cried at the burial site, and so I was embarrassing her. That's ridiculous. That's so silly. So I get, I get, I mean, look, do, have I ex-murdered people? No. But I, I get that 
that kind of rage of like being told that you there's a time you you can't cry when you want to cry yeah because you might embarrass somebody sure sure i get that too and it's it's a ridiculous thing to tell anybody about anything yeah i think my mom was always very my dad was always just like man up my mom was just like it's all right to cry crying gets the sad out of (laughs) yeah i can't imagine being i think in one instance that you know is a lot better for women than men to be able to show their emotions yeah my mom was always telling my brother to act like a man when he was like a seven-year-old boy (laughs) act like a man you know a job and then my brother would go and go like i'm i'm working on taking money out of my 401k and i'd be like you're seven (laughs) (laughs) so don was fully convinced that Faison had been able to hypnotize candy and since he had listened to all the sessions on tape, he had Faison come uh, over to his office with Candy and then toyed with the idea of triggering her emotions on the stand via hypno- hypnosis. He asked Faison if this was possible, and Faison was like, yeah, sure, watch this. He put her under hypnosis, and then he said, <laughs> he said some phrase that he said, when you hear this phrase, you will cry uncontrollably. And then he brought her out of hypnosis and Don went through the whole, um, it was like a rehearsal of her testimony, right? I forget what that's technically called. Mm -hmm. So he goes through the whole thing, the whole, all the questioning that he's going to give her. And then when he gets to the murder and she has to start describing it, he utters the phrase that for the hypnotism and she bursts, she like uncontrollably does burst out crying, according to Don. The and phrase then, was, we're out of nuggets. <laughs> and then you picked up the axe and you said, we're out of nuggets. <laughs> and she cried and cried and cried. Oh, man. I don't know why, but that did fill me with rage just now. <laughs> I almost instinctively went, check the candy after like crying for a few minutes realizes what had had what had happened realizes what they had done her and she's like she's like fucking don't do that shit and he's like all right right, right. never mind we won't we won't do it it's too much much." the way you describe this guy is great watch this It's like party tricks, but with somebody's mind. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> super fun. Check this shit out. Child began, the trial began in September, and the judge had decided that it would be his last trial before he retired. And he had them clean out the old courthouse. They had moved to a new, smaller courthouse that was more efficient. But he was like, it's not good enough. We're going to clean out the old courthouse, the old three-story tall courthouse, and have it in there. I bet oh you, God. I guarantee you that there is no AC. No. Oh, no. no. Yeah, there's not. That's the not. old courthouse. That's the old one. This is what, 82, 83? Uh-huh. Fuck, dude. No. Yeah. No. It's like, there's ghosts no in there. The ghosts are hot. <laughs> <laughs> On the first day after jury selection, Judge Ryan found that Don had been in direct violation of a court order by talking to the media Again, when there was a gag order outside of the courthouse. And even though, even though 
during the jury selection, the the judge had allowed every fucking reporter into the courthouse. They were all there, even though there was already a gag order that they had put in place. So he anyway he found he found Don in contempt, and said that he was to serve twenty four hours in jail, but that he was going to be kind and commute it till after the trial, so it didn't affect his schedule. The prosecution. So then the trial starts and the prosecution calls Alan Gore to the stand and he speaks in a pretty monotone voice the whole time. They had asked him to identify the axe and he did so. He's like, yeah, that's my axe. Mm-hmm. It was still like covered in blood. And he's like, yeah, that's, that's mine. And to the benefit of the defense, when asked about the affair and the breakup, Alan made it clear that it had been a mutual cordial breakup. Don then questioned him and asked him basic questions about Betty, like her weight and height, which Alan didn't know. He asked her, what's her, you know, what's her color? How how tall is she? How much she weighs? He's like, I, I really don't know. Okay. It's his wife. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He was just like, I don't know, but, uh, oh, mean potato salad. No, no, not talking about candies. Not talking about candies, fucking lunches. This is his wife. He's being asked about Betty, his wife. How tall was she? Mm. How much did she weigh? Mm. Oh, you don't ask a lady her weight. (laughs) What was her favorite color? Uh, Oh, I don't know. She was wearing. She always liked a lot of like yellow stuff. You know, it never really came up. Yeah. I love how you had to clarify for me. <laughs> yeah, okay. What it's color? White. What color? It's white. Oh, yeah. What color? She always liked. Uh, she was like the cloudy. So I'm gonna say gray. That's her. That's her favorite color. Uh, gray. Well, the reason that it, it stood out to me was because in the book they tell that portion from the perspective of Betty's dad, and so Betty says that it's the moment that he realized that Alan never loved Betty at all. Mm. He didn't know the most basic info about her. I get that. I get that. Yeah. yeah. Um, he confirmed that the day that he had left, the day that the murder had happened, Betty had been extremely depressed. And that he also confirmed that Candy had never, uh, for, uh, for his knowledge, Candy had never been in the garage or seen the axe. And they got him to attest to Candy's character that, that she was a great person, basically. Mm. And I'm sure he mentioned food. <laughs> most definitely did great lady great cook all of this coupled with the fact that Alan had started seeing a woman named Elaine Williams two months after Betty died really didn't make Alan look great but he wasn't the one on trial then they had the neighbors who found the body testify along with church witnesses police officers and medical ex- experts for each side Don had medical examiners say that they couldn't rule out self-defense because most of the wounds could have happened when Betty was already dead. Then the prosecution had the medical examiners say that 40 out of the 41 wounds came while Betty was still alive, although not conscious. So it's just like, you know, expert here, expert there. On this day of the trial, Candy had taken a Valium to get through the day. She was expected to testify the next day. 
but they got through all the witnesses early and the judge decided that there was plenty of time left for Candy to testify. So Candy had to take the stand late in the afternoon and she was all fucked up on Valium, mm-hmm. even less emotional than before. Don questioned her first. Candy kept her composure and gone over the details of what happened June 13th with Don several times before that day, and then she did it again at her trial. She now retold it for the... Or, sorry, that's what it is. Candy now retold her story for the jury. Betty, uh, I won't go over the whole thing again, but basically, now the story was, Betty didn't seem happy to see Candy that morning. She had probably just gotten the baby to a nap and probably was worried that Candy would, the Candy knocking at the door would wake her. They had small talk, and Betty mentioned that they had a new puppy. Then they went outside to look at the puppy for a little bit, and when they came back in, Betty took a seat at the table. Candy told her it was getting late, and she should grab the swimsuit and get going on her errands. But Betty had a weird look in her eye. She didn't move. Instead, she asked her, Candy, are you having an affair with Alan? No, of course not, Candy answered. But you did. Didn't you? Betty asked. And Candy said yes. Then she asked her if Alan told her. Betty told her to just wait a minute. Then she got up and went to the utility room. When she came back, she held a three-foot axe in her hand. She told Candy that she never wanted her to see Alan again. And that she couldn't have him. Candy replied that it had been over for a long time and that she wasn't seeing him anymore, and that she didn't want him. Betty, Betty just stood there with the axe. She didn't move forward, and she loosened the grip on the axe after she heard this. Candy kept talking, trying to defuse the situation. She grabbed her purse and said she would just bring Alyssa back right after church, and Betty said no, she didn't want to see her again and to keep Alyssa, Alyssa until tomorrow. Then she put the axe down and went to fetch a towel and told Candy to grab Alyssa's swimsuit off the washer. She gave her some peppermints to give Alyssa whenever she put her head under water. Candy tried to remain calm. She wrapped the towel and the swimsuit up and took the candy. Then they looked at each other and Candy put her hand on Betty's shoulder and said, Oh, Betty. I'm so sorry. And that's when Betty lost it. She flung her arm and pushed Candy back into the utility room, grabbed the axe, screaming, You can't have him! Candy grabbed the handle of the axe, and the both of them struggled to take control of it. Please stop, Candy pleaded. And Betty just said, I've got to kill you. The dogs, two Cocker Spaniels, started barking in the background because they could see everything from the little window. Betty got control of the axe and made the first swing, clumsily hitting Candy in the head. She swung again, missing, but catching the tip of Candy's toe. Oof. So there's injury number two. And that's when Candy's instinct kicked in. She grabbed the metal part of the axe and jerked it around while Betty jabbed it at her. Betty tried to bite Candy's knuckles wow. and Candy shoved her when she was in this position to get her off balance. Betty fell backwards and as she tried to get up, 
Candy didn't hesitate. She got the axe, brought it over her head, and swung it down on the back of Betty's head. Oof. Because I feel like Betty, instead of trying to get up facing her, she did the get, you know, the lazy get where you just like, it's not funny. It's a little funny. <laughs> what is it? <laughs> well, you know when you get up off the floor and it's like, oh, and like you turn around and you just like get up, you push yourself off the floor instead of just kind of like. Instead yeah. of, it's, you're not doing a sit up. It's more like you turn over onto like a table. Yeah. A table position. And yes. And you like put your foot up and get up that way. Yeah. yeah that, that's a clumsy drunk way to get up. You do like a, yeah, you do like a toddler uh, yeah. get up where you like put your head on the floor and you kind of use the force of your, yeah. <laughs> your hands, you do like yeah. a, a, a girl push up. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I feel like, when you're, doing like that, when you're doing that, you got to make those kinds of noises. <laughs> uh, uh, which yeah. like, I always feel like whenever I do that, I'm always like, why did I do it this way? This seems so much more difficult. Yeah. Uh, yeah. This way. So that's that when her back was turned to her is when Candy brought the axe down on Betty's head. Yeah, that's not the time to do that move. Well, she did it. <laughs> um, Candy then says that she dropped, she hit her once with the axe, she drops the axe and then ran towards the door. But that Betty was still between her and the two doors leading out of the utility room, the garage door and the, the one, the, there's two doors, one that leads to the garage and one that leads to the house. Right. But Betty's blocking both of them. So before Candy makes it to the door, she slams her body against it and picks up the axe again. Candy keeps pleading for Betty to let her go, but Betty just says that she can't. So they keep fighting over the axe, and now they're slipping on the blood that is gushing from Betty's head wound. They slid all over the utility room, and Candy trying to escape again, but Betty blocks the door again. Betty raised the axe, and Candy tackles her, then makes another run for the door. But now, the knob and her hands are covered in blood, so the knob won't turn. And in that time, Betty gets back up. Candy begs, and Betty, with her axe in one hand, and if she puts a finger up to her lips and says, Shh, we're out of nuggets. This awakens something in Candy. She the back. back. <laughs> she grabbed the blade. She grabbed for the blade again, and jerked and pushed it out of Betty's hands. Swung it again. Hit her in the head again, cracking the skull. Oof. Then she swung it again and again and again. Betty went down slowly, Yeesh. stumbling, accidentally running into the blade to try to get to Candy again. I would do that so hard. <laughs> oh my god! No, like, <laughs> I would do that so. I would literally, I would be alive, and then I would like knife myself on X, and I'd be like, "God damn it!" Horrible, <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. Finally falling to her knees, Candy never stopped swinging. Oh, poor Betty. Poor, poor Betty. Seriously. With with every blow, she gave a little more until finally Betty curled up in the fetal position. Candy was beyond enraged. She just kept swinging the axe out of pure anger and hate. When she finally dropped the axe... 
the, the putrid smell of blood and spilled laundry detergent filled her nostrils. And she was felt, she said she was afraid she would vomit right there and then. So she ran out of there and went straight to the bathroom. She got in the shower with her clothes on. Then after she cleaned or she, you know, took a shower with her clothes on, she took some of the clean towels and tried to clean up the blood. But the blood just kept smearing because there was so much of it all over the room. And the dogs, who had been going insane this whole time, because I'm not sure, I didn't see a picture of the utility room, but the way it was described, it seems as if the utility room was, um, it only had one small window. And that small window somehow is level with the gr- the grass in the yard. It's one of those high windows, kind of like if the utility room were like a basement. Right, okay. So it's one of those little high windows mm-hmm. that you know, only the dogs can look into if they're down on, you know, looking into yeah, looking into the room. Anyway, so the dogs had seen the whole thing and they're like barking in the background the whole time and finally it just registers to Candy that the dogs had seen the whole thing. And she just kind of freaks out about it all. Gets her stuff and leaves. And that's when we had, you know, really last year. She remembered that she had to be somewhere else. She, oh, sorry. Let me, let me start that over. So, so she hears the dogs. She, she remembered she had to be somewhere else. So she looked for her and found her glasses and walked to her car slowly and deliberately. Her watch read 1020, but then she looked again and realized that it had stopped when she ran it under the shower head. She drove aimlessly for some time before she headed home. And she thought to herself that maybe if she didn't think about it, it never happened. She threw away her sandals, changed into her sneakers, put her maroon blouse in the wash, and found a pair of jeans that matched the ones that she had been wearing earlier, and bandaged her toe, then headed back to church. She said on the stand that she lied because she was scared and ashamed of what she had done. O'Connell, the prosecution, then questioned her. But the story of self-defense was hard to disprove. O'Connell tried to get her to admit she didn't want to tell anyone about it and then asked her if Alan had been the only affair she had. Candy confirmed it had been the first, but not the last. Pat didn't know that. Okay, so Candy or Pat wasn't in the courtroom when they asked her this. And they kept asking her about it and they made her name the guy that she had an affair with. And then as soon as the day was over, she said that Pat didn't know about the other the other affair. And she had to tell she took him into a private room in the courthouse and told him that she had had another affair. And he broke out crying. He was just sobbing immediately. Poor Pat. He wept openly and loudly. Don then came into the room. After a few minutes, and the the couple was standing at opposite corners of the room. So Don is just like, all right, we're about 75% of the way home, folks. Let's don't blow it now. And Pat's just bawling. And he says to him, look, Pat, I know this is hard to take. Uh, uh, she shouldn't have done it, Pat, but it's over. All right. Doesn't matter if she fucked a hundred men. 
as long as she doesn't do it again, which <laughs> might not happen. But still, now come on. We got to pull this thing back together. Come on, Pat. <laughs> he didn't say the which might not happen. Yeah, he didn't say which might not happen. That was, that was all me. That was improv. Um, and that was it. Oh, like they just well, made they just made Pat fucking pull it together. Sucks. Thank God she didn't say the might not happen part. The other part. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> yeah. I realized I fucked it up as soon as I said it. I was like, well, no, 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 no. I was like, that's the be- that was to me. I was like, oh, I wonder if I hope he said that one, not the all the other stuff that definitely. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. He's super sensitive about it. Jeez. He was really nice about it. The next day, Don had another expert witness. And Judge Reiner rejected it. It was all taking too long. And then they argued, and he found Don in contempt again. And finally, Don called Dr. Face into the stand, who testified that there was a connection between her mother shushing her at age four and Betty's shush in the utility room, which triggered Candy's latent rage. It also triggered a few other things. He said the doctor said that it associate that there was an association physically between Betty and her mother, that the um that the there was an association with the phrase with the shushing and pain because she Candy had felt pain when she was shushed when she was little. Mm-hmm. And the doctor said that triggering that her triggering was part of a disorder, but not a mental illness. Faison said that while her initial impulse was self-defense, she changed after the shushing and she lost control. So it started in self-defense and then went to temporary insanity. Then Don called multiple witnesses to the stand that knew Betty, other teachers, the marriage encounter people, churchgoers, and even the pastor she did not get along with. He wanted to show that Betty was no angel and was prone to depression, moods, and belligerence. Finally, after closing arguments, the jury didn't really deliberate for that long before they found Candy not guilty. Candy was free. Crazy. Absolutely crazy. That's insane. The public, much like our public here, was appalled. <gasps> I'm appalled! They called her a murderer... Christians sent her mail, uh, hate mail and threats. One letter just said shush over and over and over. That was me. <laughs> she was a local Halloween, like Candy was a local Halloween costume. Oh, damn. For that's the year. Up. That's great. Yeah. Piece of shit. Someone even wrote a fun little poem and it says, Candy Montgomery was a whore. She screwed around with Alan Gore. When Betty Gore brought it up, Candy used an axe to cut her up. In Collin County, murder's okay if you go to church and pray. And don't worry, adultery's cool if you teach Sunday school. (laughs) (laughs) That took so much time for somebody. (laughs) Oh, you know that that they were doing that and they were like, Hey, Bob, are you going to watch the, you know, the... uh, uh, the reports coming in. Uh, we gotta look for that comment. I'm working on a poem. <laughs> <laughs> coming. Comments coming in hot, Bob. And you are uh, you got one job. 
And that's to make sure it doesn't <laughs> crash into Earth. It's like, I have one job, and it's to make sure that these verses rhyme. <laughs> Get out of my office! It took me so long to think of a job. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, career, career, career. And all I could think of was Comet Watcher. Asteroid Finder. Comet Watcher. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds like a good, nice, chill job. <laughs> yeah. So Candy and Pat stayed together. Which is nuts. They moved to Georgia. Candy became a family counselor. Ah! Fucking nuts. There's conflicting reports if they've divorced or not. I think they have. They had to. I think they divorced four years later. Other reports say that there's no confirmation of that. I'm not sure. Separated. I'm sure they're separated. Mm. Um, I don't know how Pat stayed with her through all that. The cheating alone. Forget the murder. Don't for, for uh, putting the murder aside respectfully. <laughs> the cheating is crazy, and she had even if she had cheated with Alan, she had the chance then to tell Pat about the second affair. Yeah, the second affair that he knew nothing about, and then <laughs> he lost his mind because he's like, yeah, he found out about the first one. He was like, oh, buy her roses. I obviously was. I had something to do with this. We were better. Everything was good. She cheated again. Ooh, fucking hard. <laughs> it's so sad. It's so sad. My heart it's breaks so for sad. Pat, and I hope he found true love and happiness. We love you, Patty. Candy sucks. Like, of course, she's a family counselor now. Of course, she thinks she could tell people how to raise their family. Whatever. I'm sorry. First things first. It's, find dicks. I really, truly think that Candy. Did it out of self-defense. I don't know how you guys feel. But it, it clearly it was overkill. Um, yeah. But it, yeah. it sounds like it started with self-defense because Betty did have kind of a, you know, a dark streak in her. And I think it took over. Yeah, I think yeah. that's true. But, I I, that. but with the 47, 41 or 47? 41. 41 bludgeons. You got to go to jail, dude. You gotta go to yeah. jail for it's something. O- it's overkill. Yeah. For sure. Yeah, Not a single day in jail. Well, I mean, she had like one day in jail during her bond fiasco. Yeah, and then she went on vacation. Yeah, she went. Yeah. <laughs> she like, I think she like, I don't want to say she went to the Ozarks. I feel like I'm making that up. But it definitely, I'm 98% sure it was the Ozarks. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> Ridiculous. Alan Gore married Elaine Williams, that lady, that busybody that came over only two months after Betty was dead. Mm-hmm. And... They divorced sometime later, of course. Oh, that wasn't, that didn't work out? No. (laughs) Match made in heaven? (laughs) Don Crowder, the civil lawyer who defended Candy as a criminal defense lawyer, had a great life. Uh Ah, yeah! He had a great life. Thank you! A tragic ending. Wait, what? Oh, no. After winning her case, Crowder went on to make a bid for Texas governor in 1986. He received a lot of votes. He didn't win. Still... What a rad. What a rad. In 1991, Crowder opened a sports bar in Plano called Game Day Sports Cafe. I like that name. It later closed. Oh. But you know, that's fun. He had a bar for a while. That's cool. That's fun. Then after losing his brother, Barry, in 1997, Crowder's mental state declined. (laughs) And then on November 10th, 1998, the 56-year-old took his own life. Oh, my God. Now I feel bad about that. (laughs) <laughs> Very sad. No, sorry. We had a great life. 
And I hope Don is doing well in heaven. Yeah. Or whatever afterlife exists. And that's it. Candy's Candy's fine. Alan's fine. Alan sucks too. Alan sucks. Candy sucks. I can't believe she got away with it. I hope her fucking car gets broken into repeatedly. And uh, I'm sure she's getting a lot of hate lately. Now I bet that- she has like ghost pain in her toe or something. Like <laughs> she's still. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm sure that a lot of a lot of internet trolls have found her, and now that this case has been revived, and oh, I bet they have. Yeah. Damn. Oh, yeah, they have. Yeah. That's that's how I know she's working at a family uh, therapy office. Holy I didn't say shit. I didn't say which one, but you can easily find which one right now, which is a shame because um, people won't leave her alone. Oh my god, I can't believe they found her. Of course, she didn't change it. All she did was go back to her uh, maiden name. Wheeler, Candy Wheeler. So. Well, that's the story of Candy Montgomery. Thank you guys for listening. Thank you, Maria. Thank you so much for taking the time and doing everything. And thank you, Cash. All right, guys. Well, thank you so much. Uh, We will be back at it again next week. And uh, have a great rest of your week. Hope you guys are cool and relaxed and stress free. And yeah, thank you so much. Don't kill anyone. (laughs) All right. Bye. We're out of nuggets.